really want you to hear about the fact that he's wonderful and merciful today because Brenda just played the beautiful rendition of Wonderful, Merciful Savior. And now my sisters and I are going to sing it. Yeah, so God worked it out today. So here we go. Yeah. 
Turn with me today in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And we start a new series in chapter 18 this morning. This passage deals with a man that came to Jesus, whom we often call the rich young ruler. And it's fascinating to look at the logic of life. Let's look at Luke chapter 18 and begin in verse number 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. We'll stop our reading there and go a little further in the passage later. But let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you this morning for the Word of God and how it works in our lives. We thank you for this passage that indicates to us that you are a mighty and powerful God, that nothing is too difficult for you. And I pray that you would bless now in this sermon, that you would unite our hearts as one through the Spirit of God and through the power of your Word. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I'm sure that most of you would know what probability is or... Uh, another way that they might say it is odds or statistics. Uh, did anybody in here go to college and, and major in statistics? Okay, I'm on safe ground here today then because I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm just spouting some figures out to you. And if you took statistics and you're an authority on that, then I didn't know if we should proceed with that line of questioning today. Um, but probability is, a, is an interesting science. And it mathematically deals with the likelihood of an event. For instance, uh, approximately one out of every 100 high school baseball players will find their way into any level of professional baseball. That's 1%. Not who make it to the big leagues, but to any level of the minor leagues. And it's only 1% even get that far. 99 don't even make it to any minor league team. The odds that an average handicapped golfer um, will hit a hole-in-one in his lifetime are 12,000 to 1. Now, how many of you golf? How many golf? All right, how many of you have ever had a hole-in-one? Uh, you're not a golf team. You're not an average handicapped golfer. Have you had a hole-in-one, Don? How many? He's had two of them. Oh, my word. He just blew our statistics out the window. They're gone. All right, what's your handicap? You don't know. All right. 
He, he started playing golf when he was 70 years old. And I guarantee he could golf anybody in this room. He could out-golf you except for golf team boy here. So, um, golf team man. I'm sorry, you're married. And Okay. Um, get off the golf one. That was a disaster. I can't believe we wrote that one in. Um, here, I read this. One in 83,930 people in their life will be struck by lightning. But only one in four million will die from being struck in, by lightning. So that's good news. All right? So found, we found some good news in that nugget right there. Uh, one in 142,000 people dies in a train accident. It's a pretty safe mode of transportation. Um, one in 23 people will pass away because of a stroke. One in five will die from heart disease. Let's go back to some good news here. Uh, you are here today because one in 100 million of the tiny seeds from your dad made it through the difficult trip to reach one unique egg produced by your mom. The chances that you are alive today without a biological set of parents are zero. And the chances that you are spiritually alive without God are also zero. And so today I want to look at the logic of life and the miracle of life that is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus has not called us just to do great things through his name. He has called us to do impossible things. And our definition of faith in God is revealed by what we view to be impossible. And we'll look at this passage as we get into your notes this morning. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. The first part of the message I'd like to see is this, an easy reasoning an easy reasoning. Look back up to verse number 18 in the passage. Let's look at the point of view that this question is asked from. Here comes this magistrate, this young, uh, rich man. And he comes to Jesus and said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's... Really, like going to your dad or your mom and saying, Mom and Dad, what shall I do to be your child? Right? What shall I do to be your child? Um, if you've been born, you already are. And, and so that's already taken care of. And the only way to get into the kingdom of God is also through that birth. But it was his point of view. He started with this thought, like most people do, that his eternity was based upon himself. So this is the ground where most people are coming from. They literally think that their eternity is based on them, on what they do, on their lifestyle, on the decisions they make. The natural man assumes that there is something that he can do on his own to get to God. Um, how many hours do I need to work? How many candles do I need to light? How many stairs do I need to climb? How many badges do I need to earn? And it would be easy to think that gaining acceptance with God through my own actions is a must. 
But you know, gaining acceptance with God through what I do is impossible. It really is. Gaining acceptance through my own personal actions with an almighty God, a holy, righteous, wonderful God, is impossible. Can't be done. Um, Luke uses later this idea that Jesus said, of it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle um, than for a rich man to come to the kingdom of God. And uh, when you look at that passage, there are a lot of commentators, um, usually liberal commentators who doubt impossible things, who say that what that's talking about is a part of the wall in the city that was called the eye. And uh, the camel had to kind of push through that eye and squeeze through to get in through the wall. Can I tell you what that is called? That is called a bunch of baloney. All right? When God said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Luke, in this passage, in the Greek even, says that the needle was a medical needle used to sew or to repair skin. Now, how many of you have ever had stitches in your life? Okay, how many of you have ever caused someone else to have stitches in their life? Okay, so, so we know how that works. Um, we had stitches. They used a, a medical needle to sew you up. And what Jesus is saying, literally, is that it would be easier for a camel to fit through that tiny little eye of that needle where the thread goes than it would be for a person to get to God on their own. Now, we're going to come back to that thought, but I want that to sit in there just for a minute. Um, so, so gaining acceptance with God on my own is literally impossible. It can't be done. And the fact that this man was both young and rich further complicated his human logic. He was young. And so he must have thought, bring on the challenge of searching for answers and I have the energy to do whatever it takes once I find them. And I love the energy of young people, the great zeal. But sometimes that energy level isn't balanced yet with wisdom or with knowledge or with experience. And how many of you, and this is just a, an unscientific poll, but how, how many of you have ever known a young person to be completely wrong? Okay. Just checking here. Um, sometimes even people who aren't young are wrong. But, but young people, sometimes they're kind of moving forward. Boy, let's get it. Let's gung-ho. And then they figure out, uh-oh, we just messed up. Um, now, I'm still a relatively young person. And yeah, Brother John Tilford got to witness some of my stupidity the other day. We were up at the men and boys camp out. We tried out a swimming hole that that I've never seen before there on the creek. And across from, I didn't have anything to swim in with me, and so I walked across on some stones, and there was a, a face about 30 or 40 feet of dirt and rock. and um, So I thought, you know, I'll just go up there and take a look while the kids are swimming. And, and so I got about 30 feet up the face, and I got behind these two little young ponderosa pine trees, and there was nowhere to go. I was wearing my Crocs on my feet. That shows you how smart I am. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, all of the pine needles that were accumulated from all those pine trees, 
started to slide down through a hole about this big, down the face of the cliff, which I call a cliff because I was the one on it. And uh, my body started to go with them. And I grabbed both pine trees, hoping that these young ponderosa pines would hold an overweight 40-year-old man. And they did, temporarily. And so I pulled myself back up with those branches, and I thought, you know what? This is easy. I'll just go down the same way I came up. I went down a very different way, at a high rate of speed. Um, on my posterior and my legs and my back like this, and I went as far back as I could so that this would not be damaged, even though it appears that it already was, just from me telling you this story. And I hit the one-foot-deep creek at a high rate of speed with my feet. and pitched forward. and caught myself on my hands. And uh, John laughed. <laughs> he, was, he was smarter than I, even though not much older than I, across the creek, sitting in an easy chair by the truck. Sitting next to his easy chair was my easy chair that I had put out to sit in. And then I had this weird idea. But we sometimes do those things. And so sometimes young people are kind of impetuous that way. Have you ever heard, though, of a rich person who thought that they could buy their way out of trouble? Have you ever not heard of one? People have things and possessions and money, and so they think, okay, I've got it figured out. How much does it cost to get my way to heaven? Simon, in, in the book of Acts, not Simon Peter, but Simon said, hey, how much do I have to pay for this power of the Holy Spirit thing? I'm in. And he said, you can't buy this with gold. Doesn't work that way. This acceptance with God... And so this young ruler had status and security, or so he thought. He had done what he needed to do. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. I'm good enough. Self-justification is an issue that we all face from time to time. And we think things like this. I know that no one's ever gotten away with this sin before but I'm good enough to do it. Right? I know that every person who's ever done this in the history of planet Earth has not gotten away with it, but I will. And we think things like that somewhere deep in our heart. I know that no one's ever gained favor with God through their actions, but I'm good enough to do it. I'm the guy to break through that glass ceiling, and nobody's good enough. And then we see in the passage an exacting realization. An exacting realization. The Bible says in Mark 10 that before Jesus answered him, that Jesus looked on him and loved him. I find that intriguing. Jesus was not saying this to one-up him. He wasn't saying this to hurt him. He was saying this because he loved him. You know, there are people who've told you the truth before. Because they love you, and you think that they're trying to one-up you or hurt you. Teenagers are famous for thinking, oh, mom and dad have it out for me. But mom and dad really told you that because they love you. 
And sometimes when we try to instruct young people, they rebel. They push away. I love the verse that is in Galatians. It's the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia. Here's what he said. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Is that all it takes to be your enemy is to tell you the truth? You know, there's a lot of people on planet Earth that all it takes to be their enemy is to tell them the truth. It's all it takes. Because self-justification kicks in, like we mentioned a moment ago. And so Jesus was truthful with the guy. He looked on him. He loved him. He offered him the key to discipleship. Leave everything for Christ. It's impossible to serve two masters. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He couldn't have a heart for God and a heart for things at the same time. And most likely, that's how he lived under the impression that he had done so well. Have you ever been put under a spell by your own goodness? By your own pure-as-snow motives? And yourself puts you under this spell that I am a good person. I love God like nobody else. I intended to pray for hours, but I laid down on my back and all of a sudden my body fell asleep. I intended to get up at four o'clock and build calluses on my knees through prayer, but alas, did not work. And we, we have all these things that we think through. Oh, pastor, I, I read the Bible every morning when I get up. But really, you only read it one or two days a week. But see, we see ourselves differently than we see anybody else. We are living under the spell called self-deception. Elijah, he goes and does this great victory for God in 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 19, he sits under a juniper tree, and he says to God, It's enough, God. Take away my life. I'm the only one left who cares about you. I'm the only person who cares anymore. You know, sometimes we get that feeling. Like, I'm the only one who wants to raise a good family. No, you're not. I'm the only one who cares about God's Word being upheld. No, you're not. There's plenty of them out there. I'm the only one who wants good values in my life. You're not the only one. There's a lot of them. And, and yet, we get this self-centered viewpoint in our lives. And we get under the spell of our own deception. Um, you could say, we give God our tithes like he's commanded. But really, you just offer God a tip every once in a while to relieve your conscience. I love to meet people in the community who go to church all the time. And they are faithful churchgoers. The weird thing is, we only see them at Easter and Christmas. Uh, they're, they're never here, but they're faithful churchgoers. I love it at churches when you have a big business meeting and people show up that haven't been there for three years. Like, whoa, big decision time. Better get in there. Listen, we self-deceive all the time. We do it in our homes where we say, I'm a good husband. What's her problem? I'm a good wife. What's his deal? Why can't he get it together? If he could fix the things in his life, we'd have a good marriage. If she would just lay off, we'd have a good marriage. And we self-deceive, just like the rich young ruler did. 
he could not face the truth about himself. And Jesus revealed his heart with one simple thing. Look at verse 22. Verse number 22. He had just told Jesus this baloney that he had kept all the law. Jesus heard these things. He said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. You're just missing one thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. Now look at verse number 23. This tells you everything you need to know about the rich young ruler. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful. For he was very rich. So when the young ruler heard the impossible conditions for him to reach God on his own, he walked away sorrowful. And this led others who were standing there to ask a question that's relevant in every life. Who then can be saved? If he can't be saved, who could be saved? The answer is no one. It's impossible to save yourself. It's impossible. Nobody can do it. Just like it's impossible to give physical life to yourself. There's not a person in this room who gave yourself life. Not one. Every person in this room is here today because you had a biological mother and father. And it's a fact of life. Now, before you can be saved... You have to realize that you're lost. And for good people, that's difficult. I'm good enough, God. What else do you want from me? I keep the commandments. Jesus said, hey, give me your heart. Give me everything you have. Come and follow me. And that takes us to this third part, which is an extraordinary reach. An extraordinary reach. Jesus expressed the difficulty in self-redemption in verses 24 and 25. Look at it again. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, who can be saved then? No one on his own merits but anyone on Christ's merits. I became a child of God in 1984 when I was 12 years old. And I remember hearing stories through the years, especially during my teenage years, of people who were saved out of drug addiction or from the gutter. or They had this horrible lifestyle, and God saved them from it. And sometimes the way I thought about it, or maybe it was the way it was presented, was, wow, that person really got saved. And that person's got a testimony. Right? Can I tell you that if you're a child of God, you have a testimony. The testimony is a miracle was performed in your life by Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how old you were. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle was. It doesn't matter what your situation was. Look back up to verse 17 in the same chapter. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child 
shall in no wise enter therein. Every person who ever becomes a child of God has to go by the same way, truth, and life. Jesus Christ. And sometimes, if we're not careful, as, as a Baptist church or as those who reach out with evangelism into the community, sometimes we think that reaching people with the gospel is a task that we can do with a good presentation or with good logic or, man, if we just put up the right picture or we build the right stage or if we bring them in a certain way, we could reach people with the gospel. Sometimes that happens in our lives where we deceive ourselves into thinking we're important in the process of salvation. I love what Paul said. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the increase. You know, there are some in this room who are farmers. And you can go out and you can manipulate the soil and you can put in fertilizer and you can put in cow manure and you can put in whatever you want to put in and you can plant the seed and you can keep the weeds out and you can water the seed. But without the sunshine, there's no plant. Without God involved, there's no result. There's no fruit. And sometimes we begin to think that we are the focal point of people coming to Christ. The truth is this. Anytime a person chooses Jesus Christ, it is a miracle performed by the God of the impossible. The sufficient blood of Jesus had to cover my 12-year-old sinful heart just as much as it had to cover the sinful heart of an adult who had wasted and ruined his life. This is the heart of our message today. I hope this is the part you remember. When we think of our friends and our co-workers and our family members and our neighbors and acquaintances, here's what we sometimes think. Well, I don't see how that person will ever get saved. Now, we think that in our hearts. I don't see how that person will ever get saved. I don't see that, how that person will ever come to Christ. Could I tell you how it will happen? Only through the miracle of the blood of Jesus. Every birth is a miracle. Whether we're talking about a physical birth or a spiritual birth. My question to you today is this. What do you view as impossible? What do you view as impossible? Who is it that you think is beyond the hope of eternal life? Pastor Waits, you don't understand. For a person to come to Jesus, they must be drawn to him. And that's certainly the argument that, that I hear a lot. They must be drawn to him, and that's in the scripture, and you're exactly right. But Jesus said this, And I, if I be lifted up on the cross will draw all men unto myself. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we sometimes get stuck by saying, hey, God's got to draw them first. 
God does have to draw them first, but he's already done that. Jesus drew them through the blood of his own cross. I love the verse at the end of Revelation where it says, Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Yes, that person has been given a free will choice to make about the gift of God in his life, but all things are possible with God. Nothing is too hard for him. I'm sure that you remember Abraham and Sarah from the Old Testament. When Abraham was 99 years old, God broke some big news to him. It was huge, groundbreaking news. Um, God came to him directly and said, Hey, your wife, Sarah, who's 89 years old, she's going to have a son. And uh, I love to read it in Genesis 17 because Abraham, being the man of faith that he was, records for us in Genesis 17 that he fell on his face and laughed. And he was a man of faith. He fell on his face and laughed. Several months later, God sent some angels to visit Abraham. And they gave him the news again. Takes a while for miracles to settle in sometimes. And and Sarah heard from the tent door that God was going to give her a son. And this woman of great faith laughed too. In fact, Isaac, the son that was born, his name in Hebrew means laughter. And here was this amazing miracle that God did that shows what he can do in the human heart through spiritual birth. God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And then God asked this question, and this is the question I want you to get today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to think of that person right now that you know that is beyond hope, far from God, addicted, ruined, wasted, lost, hurting, depressed, discouraged, or on the way to a Christless eternity. And I want you to ask in your heart that question right now about this person. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That son and daughter, that grandchild who has rebelled against God, is anything too hard for the Lord? That spouse who is hurting you through some way or some method, is anything too hard for the Lord? Could God reach your child? Could God reach your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your friend? Yes. He is the God of the impossible. Is anything too hard for him? But then we see an eternal result. Back in Luke 18, verse 28, Peter piped up and here's what he said. Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Peter said, hey, hold on here a second. We left all and followed you. We are the camels that have gone through the eye of the needle. Jesus said, you didn't do it on your own, Peter. You're the loudmouth who I have to correct all the time. You're the guy who was walking on water, and as soon as you took your eyes off of me, you began to sink. 
You're the man who's going to deny that you even know me three times the night before I'm crucified. Peter said, hey, we're, we've left all and followed you. Many of the disciples had brought their ships to land. I love that. They had forsaken everything to follow him. And I'm sure that most people in this room today would testify of a time in your life when you brought your heart to Jesus and said, here it is, everything that I am, I want you to have it. I turn from my way to your way. Forgive me and save me. It doesn't matter what words you said. It matters about the repentance and action of faith in your heart. But you did that. Praise God. What a wonderful testimony. The miracle of salvation births life in a believer. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Look down at verses 29 and 30. Jesus speaking again, he said to them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Manifold more in this present time. A lot of people think, well, man, that means if I decided to follow God, then now I have Donald Trump money. If I decided to follow God, I've got whatever car on the lot I want. I can live in any neighborhood. I don't just go to the ski resort. I own the ski resort. Right? We begin to think things like this in our head, in our hearts. You guys are asleep today. What's going on? And we begin to process that we somehow are going to get these imaginable, unimaginable blessings that are on this earth. But when he says manifold blessings, can I tell you as a disciple, you have received a bundle of perks in the remainder of this earthly journey. Those perks have nothing to do with how big your house is or what kind of car you have or what you do for recreation. Here are some of the perks. You can go directly to the Father in prayer. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you to guide you to all truth and to comfort you. You have been redeemed from all sin, bought, purchased by the blood of Christ, justified, sanctified, called. You have a guidebook for the trip. You have a light and a lamp. You have refuge and strength in trouble. You have the presence of God. You have renewed strength and renewed mind. God has given us more blessings than we can even begin to fathom. But greater than all of that, as it says in the verse, He has promised to us eternal life. I love the words that Jesus spoke the night before his crucifixion to the disciples. When he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
One of my favorite verses of the Bible is 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There is a comfort in the words of Jesus Christ, knowing that we have eternal life. That's impossible through me. I can't fly on my own, which I discovered up on that mountain. If you're like me, you tried flying off a building when you were a kid. You remember that? You built wings out of paper or out of a kite or out of your mother's furs or whatever it is. Um, you thought, man, this can be great. You know, some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. Not through my power, but through His. Because nothing is too hard for my God. You remember a few minutes ago, you thought of a name? Maybe you thought of several names. Maybe one of them was your own name. And in your life, you're saying, that's impossible. I can't change it. It can't be different. That person is past the point of hope. Jesus Christ, you thought of that name. Maybe you thought of several of them, but those people that seem beyond God's reach, would you commit those souls to him today? And again tomorrow? And again the next day, for as long as it takes. George Mueller was a great man of prayer. If you ever read Mueller's journal, it is the most incredible journal written by a human being that's not in the Bible that I've ever read. Mueller, for 50 years, had a tangible answer to prayer from God every day in his journal. He ran orphanages in London and to the point where one day he hadn't had any answer to prayer and they were sitting down for the evening meal. And uh, they had the bowls and they had the spoons, but they didn't have any food. And uh, they're sitting there down for the evening meal and he said, children, let's lift our voice to God and give thanks for the food. And they looked at him like, dude is out. That's for you kids. Wake you back up. Um, and so he said, God, we thank you for the food that you will provide for this meal. And as soon as he said it, there was a knock on the door. This is the late 1800s. And a, a food peddler, a grocery cart, horse-drawn carriage, had broken down in front of the orphanage. And the driver said to Mueller, he said, Sir, will you please take all this food? Otherwise, it will be wasted. Mueller said, sir, we'd be happy to. God has brought you here on purpose. And they had food for the meal. So you imagine there's this great prayer warrior. Like, this is the guy that everybody wanted his prayer secrets. And he didn't have any. He just prayed. Prayer is asking and receiving. And he just came and asked every day from God. The God of the impossible. Mueller had gone to Oxford when he was a teenager had been headed toward high church orthodoxy and was going to become a great pastor, even though at that time he didn't believe in God. Go figure. But there were five of his friends who he went 
to Oxford with his late teenager. And for 55 years, he prayed for those friends to come to Christ every single day. These men were in their late 60s, early 70s. And when you, those of you who have been in church work at all, here's what you know. Once people pass the age of 30 years old, the statistics are not great that they're going to come as a child of God. They need that truth embedded in their heart early. But Mueller kept praying every day, every day, every day. And finally, when Mueller was about 70 years old, one of his friends became a believer. One of his friends became a believer. You know what he did? He kept praying for the other four. He kept praying for the other four. And Mueller died. He died. God did not answer Mueller's prayer. He died. Four friends that he had prayed for every day for 55 years who are now in their 70s. You know, in the 12 months after Mueller died, all four of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. God is the God of the impossible. And when we think that we are the focal point in another person's salvation, we've missed the whole thing. He's the God of the impossible. But only if we ask. Only if we believe in what he can do. Let's bow in prayer. As we bow, could I ask you this today? Did you think of somebody who needs intercessory prayer right now?